Uh, well, we are coming to the three probably most important verses for believers. In Philippians 2, verse 9 through 11. Probably some of the most preached on verses, verses through church history. And how I want them to sink deeply into your soul and understand what it is that could cause us to come and worship Jesus in the way he is indeed to be worshipped. In verses 9 through 11, the title of this message is Name Above All Names. And in Philippians 2, 9 through 11, Therefore God has highly exalted him, given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven, of those on the earth, and those under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, for this reason, it's a turning point. It's now separating verses 6 through 8, where it talks about how Jesus put everybody's interests before his own interests, saw everybody is more important than himself, and humbled himself like no other in all of human history has humbled himself, God from the throne to the lowliest of servants. But now we're going from the humiliation of Christ to the exaltation of Christ in verse 9 through 11. Oh, that humiliation, let's not forget, he made no reputation or actually he emptied himself. He became a man. It wasn't enough. He became the servant of all men. That wasn't enough. He humbled himself between two common criminals to die upon a rough, harsh, torturous, unjust crucifixion. The one man who should never be put to death as a criminal, above all men who have ever lived, for Jesus had no sin. But yet he was being tortured and punished because of your sin was laid upon him. He humbled himself from his throne. He humbled himself into the flesh of man. He humbled himself as a servant of all men. And then he humbled himself to do whatever it would take that our sins could be destroyed, taken away, scattered as far as the east as the west, be buried in the deepest sea. Whatever it takes, not my will, but thy will be done. Is there another way this come to pass? Absolutely not. So Jesus, this precious Lamb of God, without spot, without wrinkle, without sin, he was sacrificed like no other sacrifice in all the history of the Jews, no sheep was ever tortured and brutalized and killed over hours. But a kind, merciful, merciful, very quick death to be a covering. But Christ's death had to be sufficient for all sins. The deepest sin ever committed the darkest, most evil, most satanic 
sin ever committed. There is one sin, however, that God cannot forgive. And that is if you believe your sin is not covered. If you say, well, I have sinned to this degree, but then I turned a corner in my life and and darkness came and I went into a deep pit of sin that I never thought I would go into. And now I I know too much when I sinned. I've been too deep in the Lord to have gone so far down into foolishness and iniquity and lust and anger and bitterness, whatever it might be. Remember David? He thought, not going to work. Not, not murder. Not adultery. Not the way I did it. Well, we know for sure, at least nine months, David did not have the faith until Nathan approached him. And he gave him an elaborate scenario. And at the end of that, David said, I've sinned. And in the same verse, Nathaniel says, you've also been forgiven. Why? Because in the Old Testament, they were looking futuristically to the cross. We now look back to the cross. But we all need to daily to look at Christ's cross and then to be joyfully willing to take up our cross. Our Christianity in America has has been very smooth in our entire history. Why people have been brutalized behind the Iron Curtain, horrible atrocities behind the Bamboo Curtain, and to the recent times in Iran, and now in India. Christian brothers who are preaching the gospel, their house is burnt down. They are beaten or killed. Their entire village is burnt down. Even those who aren't Christians, to make it clear that only Hinduism will be accepted in this country. Yes, we're, we're coming to that point where we will all have to take the mark if you want to buy, if you want to sell, if you want your ATM and your credit card to work. We're being shown right now in Russia how easy it is You just declared somebody who's unworthy to have any banking, and they pull it. We just saw it in Canada. And I think most of us would have agreed with those people that were blocking the capital for what they were doing to the truckers and the whole nation. Yeah, we're standing in the place in agreement with those who are It's not happening a million miles away. It's happening right here in a country equal to our own with a constitution equal to our own. Yes, the days are coming, guys. Probably much sooner than we want. And once again, we'll have to look to the Lord to provide. And maybe like Elisha, God will bring ravens to drop food (laughs) in our front porch. Or maybe like the children of Israel, God will rain manna from heaven and we'll scoop it up. Or maybe we'll die of hunger and go to heaven. Oh, that would be horrible. I mean, just think about it. You go out looking good, and then you go to heaven. All that weight you've been wanting to lose. 
got down to the weight I wanted, and then I died. Um, yes, all our sins were laid upon him. And Jesus, while doing it, did not seek a name for himself, a lowly carpenter from Nazareth, not a great king, not a great philosopher, not a great warrior, not a great singer, a lowly carpenter from Nazareth, he remained. But because he did not seek a name for himself, God the the Father has given him a name above all names. Jesus said, I do not seek my glory, my own glory. Jesus said, if I honored myself, my honor would be nothing. It's my Father who honors me. Yes, Jesus did not seek a name, and God has given him the name above all names. Jesus bent his knee to serve all men. Therefore, it is righteous that all men at the decree of the Father, will bend every knee, bowing to Jesus. The Father is exalting the Messiah, his Son, Christ, Lord Jesus. The Father is exalting him. This is the source of it. Jesus is not exalting himself. The Father is exalting him. Spurgeon says, now just pause over this thought that Christ did not crown himself, but that his father has crowned him. He did not elevate himself to the throne of majesty, but his father lifted him up there and placed him on the throne. The father has done this. Jesus is highly exalted. That means super duper exalted. There is no one higher than Jesus anywhere in the physical realm of our universe as far out as you can go and in the spiritual realm that we cannot yet see there is no name higher the exaltation of Christ applies to the incarnate God man Jesus in John 17 said Father, now it's time for me to be glorified once again with the glory that I had with you before. Referring to before he came down to earth into human flesh. But yet he would not just get that glory, would he? He would get a greater glory. In Acts 2.32 it says, And Jesus God has raised up of which we are all witnesses. Boy, Jesus talked about this ahead of time, knowing he would be going to the cross. In John 5, verse 20 to 23, For the Father loves the Son, shows him all things that himself does, and he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, listen, so the Son gives life to whom he will. The Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son, that all should honor the Son just as equally they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. But now we know 
that not only is Jesus to go back to the glory that he had before he came into human flesh, but because he came in human flesh and because he will return in human flesh, resurrected human flesh, it is now the Father's will that Jesus be lifted up even higher in glory than the Father. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all things, in John 13, where he washed the apostles' feet. Jesus, knowing the Father had given all things into his hand. It was only a matter of time till he died and rose again. He washed the apostles' feet. After he raised from the dead in Matthew 28, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Paul says it this way, for to this end Christ died and rose again and lives again, that he might be the Lord both of the dead and of the living. Jesus is highly exalted, but he's been given, bestowed upon the Father, like the crown upon a head, a name. In talking about a name, we can also talk about a title. He's been given a title, not a title, but the title. A title that is unique. You know, in the Hebrew mindset, when we talk about a name, we're really talking about the nature. They gave a name fitting to the nature or hoping that the nature would catch up to the name. Sometimes they gave a horrible name to a person and the person rose above his horrible name, like Jabez. But in this case, the nature of Jesus is like no other. And because he came into human flesh and he was the sacrifice like no other sacrifice, his office his rank, his dignity, his position throughout all the physical realm and all the spiritual realm for eternity. He is Lord. Now, in the Greek, it's the word kurios. Yes, it's a generic word, Lord. But yet, when we compare Old Testament passages that use the word Yahweh. In the Hebrew, there's two names for Lord. One is, it's only four consonants because the Jews would never say the name of God. But it's Y-H-W-H. And if you read, through your old, you read through your Bible, you'll see in the Old Testament, sometimes all, three, all four letters are capitalized. You know that's the word Yahweh. Sometimes it's just the first letter and then a small O-R-D. That's the word Adonai. But when the Tetragrammaton, that's what it's called, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, it's YHWH or YHVH, it can be transliterated either way, enunciated by the Hebrews today as Yahweh, sometimes Yah, if it's connected to another word by itself, Yahweh, if it's connected to another word, then Yah. For example, in Isaiah 61, it's clear in the New Testament, this is talking about Jesus. 
in Isaiah 61, verse 1 and 2, the Spirit of the Lord, God, is upon me because, he, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, opening the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now that prophecy is spoken in the New Testament by Jesus. In Luke chapter 4, when he was in Nazareth, uh, he began, this is back in his hometown where he didn't get respect. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. Here it is, right out of Isaiah 61. The spirit of the Lord, Curios, is upon me. Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel of the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, proclaim the liberty of the captives, the recovery of sight to the blind, to set the liberty those who are oppressed. And then in the middle of verse 2, he stops. He just says to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. The next part of that verse in Isaiah 61 is talking about the second coming of Christ. And then after he read that prophecy, he closed the book in verse 20. And he gave it back to the attendant. Of course, it wasn't a book. It was a scroll, right? Um, but he gave it back to the tenant. He sat down, and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, what? Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Well, they weren't happy about this afterwards. I won't go into that. Let's look at another one. Isaiah 43, verse 10 and 11. You are my witnesses, says the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen that you may believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there is no God formed, nor shall there be any after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and besides me there is what? No Savior. In Titus 2.13, he says, Looking unto the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, who? Jesus Christ. The name Lord is above every Lord. He alone is the supreme. He alone, for all of eternity, will stand as the Lord of Lords, as Revelation 19 says, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And we're going to be coming back with him, riding horses after the seven-year marriage feast of the Lamb. We're going to have a wedding feast going on for seven years. That sounds pretty good. I, I bet everybody will be dancing. Of course, in our brand new bodies, you know, we'll, 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 we'll really get down. <laughs> we won't be going, oh, uh, I better set this one out. I'm tired. No one's going to be tired. We're going to be celebrating. Da, da, da. You got to know the Jewish thing, right? <laughs> Yo, yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, after seven years of partying, we get on our horses, fly through the sky, let our hands run across Jupiter, <laughs> go through the outer rings of various planets, spit in some black holes 
if they really exist. And then head right on down to earth to the Mount of Olives. Israel trip with Jesus. That's a pretty cool time. You've been on an Israel trip? No, but I'm getting ready to go. Who's going to be your guide? Jesus. We're going to land on the top of Mount Olives. And all the earth shall know. He is the King of kings and the what? Lord of lords. And that he alone, there is no God besides him. There is no other Lord. Even I alone am the Lord. Even I alone am God and Savior. In Acts 4.12, it says there's no other name under heaven in which men can be saved but at the name of Jesus. In Romans 10.9, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. No doubt in there. If you call upon the name of the Lord Jesus, Acts 10, 9 says. Romans 10, 12, 13 says, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Every knee will bow. Get this. To this name, everybody's included. Nobody will be excluded. Everybody, no matter how they feel about Jesus, they shall bow unto him. In Isaiah 45, 22 to 23, it talks about this. And he says, look to me and be saved. All you ends of the earth, for I am Lord and there is no other. I am God and there is no other. I have sworn by myself, the word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return that to me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall take an oath. Who that is that talking about? One God, no other God, but the one. And unto that one God, no other shall you bow. Never shall your bowed knee be to any other Lord but God. What's it say in Romans 14, verse 10 through 12? Why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt to your brother? Listen, for we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We're going to, as believers, we'll give an account what we've done with our time, our money, our lives, our words, we'll give an account to God and he'll give us reward or lack of it. But then he goes on in Romans 14 verse 11, as it's written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. And then each of us shall give an account of himself to God. Remember I just read to you John, 5, John chapter 5? All judgment has been given unto the Son. That all will honor the Son as they honor the Father. But now the Father is telling us, no. <laughs> I want everybody to glorify the Son even greater. At the name of Jesus, 
every knee should bow. Do you understand this? Isaiah just said only to God. God says, no knee shall bow to anyone else but the Savior, our Lord. And now in Philippians, he says, who is that one God? It is the Son, Jesus, that we shall bow our knee to. And in this, we affirm his deity. Jesus is God. Yes, the God-man, but yet he is God, the name above all names. What else is going to happen to this person with the name superior to all names? We'll confess. Confess what? That Jesus is Lord. Without exception, every tongue. No exception. Well, what about those in heaven? Oh, gladly. They do it daily. They do it second by second. The sheriffim fly around his throne, declaring his glory and his holiness. What about those on the earth? All those on the earth will also, everyone without exception. What about those under the earth? Those demons and those damned to hell. They also shall declare that Jesus is Lord. Oh, these fallen angels, how they shall cringe and barely spit out the words, no doubt. And how so many who could have believed upon Christ, who were preached, who were told of God's love, but yet because they would not believe the love of the truth, God has cast them into outer darkness with the devil and his angels. But there will be a moment of time that all of God's people will bow their knee and say, Jesus, you are Lord adoringly. And everyone upon the earth and everyone under the earth shall also bow their knee, but in humiliation and regret and weeping and gnashing of teeth, but yet they shall declare he is Lord. Every tongue will confess. God's people will confess Jesus is Lord with joy in our heart. God's enemies will confess he is Lord to their own terror. When will this happen? We just read it in Romans 14. On the day of judgment, in Romans 14 there, verse 10, for we shall all stand before the what? Judgment seat of Christ. So the Bible says there's the Bema seat. This is the reward seat. All Christians, it says in 2 Corinthians 5, we will all give an account what we've done in our bodies. Wow. Yeah, we're getting called to the principal's office. The video player is going to kick on. We're going to give an account to every word we said. You know, it's interesting. We know scientifically now, every noise that's made on earth continues into outer space. Did you know that? Every word that's ever been spoken is out there. The entire universe is a record. So God's just going to go and say, well, let me hear those words again. We'll actually hear our actual words, not a recording of them. He'll just take us into space and say, stand right here. This is 19, whatever. You're going to stand here and we're going to actually hear those words. 
well, I got a feeling that we are going to see. And, and it says in 1 Corinthians 3 that there are some people who built on the foundation of Jesus Christ with hay, wood, and stubble. They would not seek God first in their day or their week or their life. They were so busy building a barn and tearing down that barn to build another barn that they are not rich towards God even though they have riches on earth. And there are some who knowing the righteousness of God did not get on their face and to seek God until their inner man was strengthened to overcome all of the regular old temptations. Wrestling with God until you say, God, give me a heart of forgiveness and love or I won't let you go. Wrestling with God to say, my eyes will only look upon that which glorifies you. Our Lord, I won't let you go. That God, my life and my time will be first. That the love of money was ripped from my heart and I will give you offerings. I'll give you the tithe and I'll give you the offerings joyfully. Not like they did in Malachi, complaining why they're giving the lamb. Complaining why they're giving the first of their fruits. But with joy, Lord, I give you the tithes. Joy, Lord, I give you the offerings. Joy, Lord, I give you the first of my week, the first of my day. With joy, Lord, I, I wrestle my flesh, beating it in subjection. Crucifying my flesh with its passions and desires because I know that one day I'm going to talk to you about all the things I've done in my flesh and I want to talk. I want it to be a joyful conversation. Hey, remember when you witnessed that guy? Remember when you helped that guy move? Do you remember when you? Yes, Lord. All these guys that got here early and lost an hour of their sleep. I, I was like, I dragged in like 9:10. I was late today. And I'm just looking at all these guys all chipper and happy. And Jen, Jenny was a little tired looking, I have to admit. She was, she's back there next to her husband while he's doing the computer stuff, going, ah. Uh. She looked the way I felt, ah. Uh. But I, all this band, all the people on the band that got here, I'm like, they're going to have to talk to the Lord about this. And I think they're going to be glad to talk to the Lord about this. But on the day of judgment, there's a white throne judgment. And those people's names are not written in the Lamb's book of life. And they and Hades and all the demons shall be cast into the hell. All believers graduate together. When the rapture comes, we all get our body at the same time. Well, all those in hell get their eternal damnation body all at the same time. Those on the earth, those under the earth, those being held in Hades, all get thrown together. You can either bow your knees before Christ now and have eternal life with it, or you will bow your knees later and have eternal damnation with it. Let me say that again. Welcome to the 1045 service. <laughs> I knew somebody would be coming in doing that, so. Anyway, here we go. I'm going to say it again. 
Either we bow our knees before Christ now and have eternal life with it. Or we will be forced to bow our knees later and have eternal damnation with it. You guys know these verses, but I want to read them together again. In John 3, verse 17 and 18, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world. Oh, he's such a condemner. No, he's not. He's the opposite of that. But that the world through him might be saved. And you guys realize that John 3, 17, we just read, is right after John 3, 16, right? God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son. Why did God love us so much to give his only begotten son? Because he doesn't want to condemn the world. That's why he sent his son. He sent his son because it's not his nature to condemn. He is not a condemner. He's a forgiver by nature. He is not a judging person. He's a gracious person by nature. He's not a person that doesn't listen. He is a listener by nature. He is compassionate by nature. He is loving by nature. But yet, you can't have any of those things without being truth and without being just. So justly, if you don't receive the one way of eternal life, you will die. He who believes in him, he goes on in John three eighteen. now, he who believes in him is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. What is it to receive eternal life? To believe. Did you realize you could be in a coma just about? You're in a bed. You can't talk. You can't move. I've done this more than once, guys. Where people are, they're sort of wonder if they're even able to hear you. Their eyes can't open and they're trying to breathe and to come in and just say, I think you're wrestling because you know you're not right with God and you're getting ready to leave this world. And I share the gospel and I say, if this is the attitude of your heart, wanting Jesus to be the Lord of your life, believe on it as I pray this prayer. And then... Their breathing is real slow. The last hours, weeks sometimes. And their breathing never gets that way again. I've seen that happen on more than one occasion. That thief on the cross, hands tied, feet tied. A few moments ago, he was cursing Jesus, mocking Jesus. But now, Jesus, Lord, yeah, he says it. Read all three Gospels. Jesus, Lord, remember me when, not if, in the future, when you come into your kingdom. He believed he was king of kings. Jesus, Lord, king, your kingdom, remember me. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. All we do is believe. It doesn't give us a list of 10 things we have to do. Only one thing. To believe. If you believe upon the Son, you shall not perish, but you shall have eternal life. Another verse here in John 3, 36, as he concludes, he sort of repeats this over and over again. Salvation if you believe, damnation if you don't believe. In John 3, 36, he who believes in the Son has everlasting life. He who does not believe the Son shall not see life. 
for the wrath of God abides on him. You see, everyone is born into this world a sinner. And all of us are under the wrath of God. And when that child comes to the age of accountability, in Exodus, it was 19, it was actually 20 years old. At 20, they were held accountable to not, to, to not be able to go into the promised land. Or at 19, they could. 20, they could not. They were considered an adult. I don't know what it is today. God alone knows. But if you believe, there's no worry about any past, present, or future condemnation. These, this word about Jesus, these deeds about Jesus, this name and names and titles about Jesus, you'll discover it's speaking of the great thing he has done, coming into human flesh to be our Savior. Mary says in Luke 2.21, what is to be his name? His name is to be Jesus. Why? Well, the angel told me to call him that. Why he was still in my womb. In Matthew 1.21, and she will bring forth a son and you shall call his name Jesus. Gabriel says, why? For he will save his people from their sins. Only by calling upon the name of Jesus can a sinner be saved from sin and hell. Isaiah 55, 6 and 7, seek or call upon the Lord while he may be found. If you listen to my radio broadcast on Saturdays at 1, that's the song I've chose. Call on the Lord while he may be found. It's an old Maranatha song, if you guys don't know it. Call on him while he's near. It's a beautiful song. Anyway, really, not, not me singing it. Um, <laughs> but call upon the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. Let the wicked forsake his way. The unrighteous man has thoughts. Let him return to the Lord. He will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he, Jesus, the Messiah, will abundantly pardon and he can because he came into human flesh as a lamb of God was brutalized tortured like no other has ever been in all of eternity bearing all our sins 100% sins ever committed on this earth was laid upon him so as we come to this conclusion I want to say again God so loves the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Who else? God so loved the world, he sent Gabriel, an angel, or Michael, or some other angel. If God did send an angel, you, you realize that would be evil, right? He made an angel to be, carry the punishment I mean, it would be like this. I grab one of you guys. I see a guy stumbling in the road, going to get hit by a car. And I don't run out there to knock him out of the way. I grab you. You hit the guy out of the way and you get hit by the car and die. Do people come up and say, Brian, you're a hero. Or do I get put in handcuffs and be taken as a murderer? You see? 
Well, if the Lord made a man, same thing. God would be evil. There's only one way God can have a substitute punished for our sins, and that if he himself does it, right? If the guys come in and I run out and I push them out of the way and I'm killed, I am a hero now, right? It's loving. It's self-sacrificing. It's hero. It's brave. It's courageous. It's amazing. It's self-sacrificing. But yet when Jesus pushed us out of the way, so to speak, he was the perfect lamb of God without sin. And so his death could be a substitute for you. Because he was man, he could be a substitute of man. Because he was eternal God, he could be the substitute for all men for all time. Who else can do that? An angel could be a substitute for one person. A man could be a substitute for one person. But yet if we want one sacrifice, good for all times, no other sacrifice ever needs to be given It has to be an eternal being. Do we understand? God so loved the world, he gave his only what? Begotten. You know, theologians never know what that word means, begotten. We really don't. But we all know, don't we? Unique. Unique. When I I hear God say, be holy for I am holy, I hear the word unique. Be unique. The way Christ was unique. He hated the self-righteous. He hated religion. He hated the Pharisees oppressing people religiously. (laughs) He cared. He respected his mother. He cared for his siblings. He was a man of honesty and honor. As you read through the Gospels, We like him. We like him. But then we come to understand he's not a man only. He's God. And we come to love him and adore him. And so when we come to Christ, we need to first exalt him because he did indeed become a man and will remain a man forever. I want to settle this issue. In 1 Timothy 3.16, without controversy. In other words, there's no discussion on this. This is a fact. Great is the mystery of godliness. The very first thing, God was manifest in flesh. Who is manifest in flesh? Jehovah's Witnesses say it's Michael the archangel. The Mormons say it was a guy from the planet Koloth, who used to be a man on that planet, but now he was a good Mormon there, so now he's a god of this planet. And we're all going to be gods of our own planet someday, if you're a good Mormon. No, God was manifest in flesh, the only one and true God. First John 4, 2, by this you may know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, is of God. But going on in verse 3, every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming 
and now already is in the world. Without controversy, God came in flesh. Anything less than that is demonic. It's the spirit of the Antichrist. In Luke 24, lengthy passage here in verse 36 to 43, after Jesus rose again from the dead, now as they said these things, Jesus himself appeared in the midst of them. The disciples were talking, not sure what's going on. And Jesus appeared in the midst of them and said to them, peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened and supposed that they had just seen a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why did doubts arise in your heart? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is me myself. Handle me. See, for a spirit does not have, what? Flesh and bones, as you see I have. And he had said this. He showed them his hands and his feet. But while they still did not believe for joy and marveled, he said to them, have you any food here? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb. And he took it and he ate it in their presence. Jesus raised again in human flesh, eternal, spiritual, heavenly flesh. Colossians 1.18, he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. And in all things, he might have the preeminence, be king of kings, lord of lords, first of all things, in a human flesh, raising from the dead. He, in 1 John 3, 2 and 3, beloved, now we are the children of God, and it has been revealed that we shall be what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be what? Like him. Because he's the first fruit of those from the dead. For we shall see him as he is, and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Last verse on this, Hebrews 2.11. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all one. For which reason he is not ashamed to call them, what? Brethren. Interesting. We must glorify him like we've never glorified God. For it's the Father's will that this God-man, one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus, the one who understands, the one who is still in human flesh, who is tempted in all points we are tempted, but never without sin. Secondly, we need to glorify him like no one's ever glorified him before because of his deity. We also should never forget this. If we forget Christ's deity, what happens? We get a soft, smiling Jesus, sort of like a Santa Claus figure. If we forget he is King of kings and Lord of lords with a sword upon him who comes down and slays all the wicked in the, bat in the battle of Armageddon there in the end, we get this Jesus that I'm all right, you're all right. Whatever you're doing is okay. Whatever you believe is okay. Or we get this weak, dead Jesus hanging on the cross, looking pathetic. Is Jesus some dead guy on the cross? Or is he a resurrected Lord? 
we should have an empty cross. Or worse yet, he's some helpless little child in the arms of Mary. And Mary, she's tough. She's this Italian mother. Mom, I'll take care of it. What do you need? Yeah, well, Jesus, he's sort of weak and pathetic, but I'll take care of it for you. We don't need to bother Jesus with the big things. I'll take care of those things. Let me ask you the question. What kind of Jesus do you have? Is he worth dying for? Is he worth worshiping? It's, it's often interesting to me where Jesus, the Bible says God loves it when we clap our hands, lift our hands, shout to the Lord with the voice of triumph, make a joyful noise, because that's a lot of only people can make is noise. But yet they'll sit there as if it's optional. Yeah, you know, sing, don't sing, worship, don't worship, clap, don't clap, lift our hands, don't lift our hands, give him glory, don't give him glory, it's, it's all good. Because my Jesus is sort of like just a, you know, laid back surfer guy going, hey, whatever, dude, whatever, it's all cool. Yeah, he, he might be. But he's king of kings and lord of lords. No matter how laid back he may look, we should bow. We should confess. Do you have a Jesus who's worth, worth boasting about? Do you have a Jesus worth living for? Do you have a Jesus worth sharing? There's no other way unto salvation. There's no other name unto salvation. There's only one who can leave the throne of glory. There's only one who is God who can come into human flesh. The second person of the triunity, the Son of God. And he now sits upon the throne with nails in his hands, scars upon his brow, a, a hole in his side. Thomas, put your hand in my side. The hole was there still. Not to shame us, but that the Father says, this is why Jesus' name is above every name. It gives me joy and glory when you magnify the one Savior. God's people need to maintain a true vision of God the Son, highly exalted. The book of Revelation knows it. There in, in Revelation 5, it mentions, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David in Revelation 5. And then in Revelation 5, 6, in 5, 5, now 5, 6, he says, and in the midst of the throne, he saw a lamb as though it had been slain. So you got this dead-looking lamb. I'm looking at the throne. I'm looking at one person. Oh, I stand over here. I see a lion of the tribe of Judah. I stand over here. I look at a lamb that just got killed. And then what do we have in verse 11? Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels looking at this lion, looking at this lamb that had been slain. And many, the voice of many angels around the throne, living creatures and elders, and number of them was 10,000 times 10,000, thousands of thousands. There you are, you mentioned, right there. Thousands of thousands. And all of us, angels, man, great men, 
little men, all language, tongues, and people, we begin to say, worthy is the lamb who is slain. To receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Do you get it? He has a title. He has a name above every name. This is a small little list. He just has to sort of end it. Power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And such are in the sea and all that is in them. And I heard saying, blessing and honor and glory and power to him who sits on the throne. And to the lamb forever and ever and ever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshiped him who lives forever and ever. A few years back, Chuck Gerard wrote a song that really, he got it as a, from the Lord. It was not a song he wrote. It was a song he heard. And it was prophetic. And it was for the believers in these last days. It's about a four-minute song, a little long, but I want us to listen to it right now. He will declare it. It's the name above all names And we will shout it to a dying world Who will declare my name Who will shout my name in the middle of the nation who would take the shield of faith and the sword of my tongue And declare my name to a dying world He who has declared me thus far Will walk in even greater power For the sands of time are But my name will be declared in this final Oh 
sermon into your hands, God, that it would go as far and wide as you have desired it to go, but let it reach every heart who's heard this today, that we would leave here, you being a name above all names, our Lord, our King, the door, the voice, the creator, the word, oh, it goes on, but greater than all, the Savior the only one that can save us from our sins, who punished for all our wickedness, rose again conquering our sin, conquering eternal damnation, conquering death. You are Savior, the only one. No other way that men can be saved except through Jesus. You alone are the door in which we can get to the Father. You alone are the way, the truth, and the life. Let you be a Lord that we want to live for, die for, be boasting in, sharing to the lost and dying world that so needs you. And without you, they will be bowing their knee, but in the lake of fire. Lord, your word is truth. And you said we'd know the truth and it would set us free. And the greatest truth of all is Jesus. Amen, amen, amen.